If you turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3, uh, today a study that I've entitled, What Kind of Love Is That? As you look at verses 11 through 24 here in 1 John chapter 3, um, there are three very clearly negative ways that we can live in relationship with other people here on this earth and very specifically the body of Christ. And there's one positive way. But John is now going to give us a contrast. Because when we live our lives on this earth, we're actually living for a purpose as believers, amen? We've been left here so that the world might be able to see a little tiny glimpse of Jesus. And so to that end, we're supposed to be living out the type of love that the Lord showed each of us, amen? I don't know about you, but before I came to Jesus, I was actually dead in my trespasses and sins. But he made me alive. I was not looking for grace. I was actually looking to fulfill the desires of my own flesh. But God's grace came upon me and and brought me back from that place uh, of being in bondage to my flesh. And so the Lord delivered me. But sometimes, if you really look at the body of Christ you would almost think like we think that we have earned our salvation and so thereby we hold other people to a standard that we ourselves would fail at. And here's what that standard is. We become unloving. You see, we want to be loved by God. We want to be forgiven by God. We want God to give us grace. We want God to give us mercy. We want God to forgive us our sins but we do not treat other believers specifically, but really all of humankind in a general sense, we do not treat other people with the same kind of love that we ourselves actually need from God. And so to that end, what kind of love is that? God wants us to have the right kind of love. And so would you join me? We'll pray. We'll pick up in verse 11. Here in 1 John chapter 3, Father, we thank you for first loving us. Lord, that while we were yet sinning, you, Jesus, came and died for us who were the ungodly. And Lord, we pray that you would speak through your word, encourage us, challenge us, strengthen us, help us to receive it with gladness, Lord, that we would be representatives of your love while we're here on this earth. Father, we want our doctrine correct and we want our duty to match what we believe. But we really want to just show people your love. And so God, uh, help us to understand what that love looks like as we live it out. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 11 here in 1 John chapter 3. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning. So verse 11 points us again back to the beginning, back to the garden, back to God's plan for salvation, and back to how we have all come to faith in Christ in the first place. Nobody in here has earned your own salvation. Nobody in here is worthy of that salvation. Nobody in here is actually good enough to merit that salvation. And so each of us has actually received the love of God without deserving it, without earning it. God just simply gives it to us because he's that good. Amen? He loves us. But sometimes we don't show the world that same love that we have received. 
that we should love one another. An unloving church, an unloving believer, an unloving Christian is a very poor representative of the Lord Jesus. Now notice I didn't say someone who tolerates sin endlessly. I didn't say that we can't have a hatred for the things that God hates, but God loves people. He hates the sin that people do. And so very often we place the hate on the person and not on the sin. And in doing so, we forget that we ourselves actually are still sinners who are saved by grace. And so people then begin to miss the love of God and they simply see the holiness of God or the righteousness of God. Both of those things, by the way, are important. But God is actually love. He's not just holiness. He's not just righteousness. He's not just sovereign. He's not just omnipotent. He's not all-powerful. He, he alone is love. And so to the, amen. You see, when we think about God, you better be thinking he loves you. Because there is no other reason for him to have come to this earth save that reason. This world's a mess. It's still a mess. But for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Amen? Loves the motivator. Loves the identifier. Loves the reason. And love is the result of God sending Jesus to this earth. That we should love one another. And now notice, and we'll see these four things very clearly. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. Most of you are going, well, duh. That's pretty simple. That's an easy one. But let me help you with this particular scenario because this actually makes a lot of sense when you look at it from a biblical perspective. Cain and Abel were raised by the same parents, weren't they? Adam and Eve. They both attended church together, and I'm now using a metaphor. They went to the same church. They heard the same messages. They were directly talked to by the Lord himself. They were given instruction on how they were to worship the Lord. And yet, even though they were treated the same, they heard the same message, and they went to the same church. Boy, did they ever have a different result of their living. You see, we often think of Cain just kind of waking up one day and having a bad day. But from the beginning, Cain had murder in his heart. You see, from his beginning, he was acting exactly like his father, the devil. Because they had an opportunity to both have the same result. God tells them that he would like for them to sacrifice. He tells them how. And Abel brings a bloody mess. He slaughters an innocent animal. That's what God told him to do. And he did it. He was obedient. But Cain, being a little bit on the other side of things, said, well, I'm not doing that. I'm going to bring you a nice Harry and David's fruit basket instead, Lord. Some nice flowers. It's going to be nice. It's going to be beautiful. And God rejected the beauty and he kept the blood. 
God sets the standards whereby we relate to him. We've always related to God by blood. There's never been another way. An innocent animal was slaughtered for Adam and Eve. Amen? An innocent animal died for Abel. Amen? People died because they rejected God at the flood. Amen? And throughout human history, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And so for you and I, we are still in that same place. Someone's got to pay for our sin, and you can't do it yourself. So God sent his son into the world to pay the price for that sin. And he's asking of you to receive that sacrifice and then to act like you've received it by being obedient. Why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. It's very simple. Cain wanted to serve his own flesh. Cain wanted it his way. Cain was desirous to do things his way. He did not want to be obedient to God. Which, by the way, is the exact same condition that existed in Lucifer. You know him as Satan, the devil. He said, no, I'm not doing it God's way. I'm going to exalt my throne above his. I will become like the most high God. I want to be the ruler of my own little world. I'm going to do things my way. And so this very same circumstance is what's in view in the first one of these ways that we can relate to one another. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we've passed from death to life Because we love the brethren, and he who does not love his brother abides in death. We're going to see four different ways to relate here as we move through these passages. And there really are some others that you might throw in there, but these are the primary four. When you think about your relationship with the Lord, and you think about your relationship then with other people, where do you fit? I hope you all fit in number four. But I can tell you there are a lot of people that are in one. There's a bunch of people in two. There's a whole bunch of people in three. And I think we can all use a little nudge towards number four. Sacrificial service and compassion, real love. Let's look at the first of these that are there in verses 11 and 12. Murder is about as bad as it gets, amen? I don't know how much worse you can treat somebody than to take their life, but that's pretty much the tops, isn't it? And yet, can I tell you that murder doesn't begin with murder? Murder begins someplace else. In Cain and Abel's case, it began with jealousy and envy and strife. It began with covetousness. It began with a whole bunch of other things that the Bible clearly says should not be in the heart of the child of God. And so when you look at the antithesis of love, the opposite of love, what you really find out is if you're born again, you're born of God and God is love. Amen? If you're not born again, guess who's still your daddy? That would be the devil. You keep the original nature that you had when you were born into this world and you don't accept that new birth in Christ which gives you a new nature 
which causes you to love like your father's love. You see, a lot of people think they don't need Jesus. Like, well, I can do it without. I'll just kind of work my way into this place of holiness. And while I'm not mocking anyone's attempt to do so, I can also tell you it's an impossibility. Because you're never going to get there. You may be fine with envy. You may be fine with strife. But Jesus, as he was speaking to the Pharisees, reminded them in John chapter 8 that from the beginning, Satan was actually a murderer and a liar. And if you do not have the new birth, then you keep the original birth you had in the enemy. That sin nature. And it's going to bear fruit. Because that is actually who you are without Jesus. And people say, well, I don't murder anybody. Well, Jesus actually said it this way. If you have hated your brother in your heart, you've murdered him. In the same way, if you have lusted after a woman, you have committed adultery. Now, he was not making an equivocation. He wasn't saying they were exactly the same. He's saying, look, the road is obvious. Where you're going is going to end up here because you're still not redeemed. You're not acting like a redeemed person, so you're not on that path of sanctification. You're just simply delaying your time on the road of hatred. But that road of hatred ends up in murder, and the only difference between a murderer and a hater is opportunity and time. That's it. If you don't believe that, what happened in New Zealand last night is an example of that. How can someone walk into a mosque wearing a camera, a GoPro camera on their head and shoot 50 innocent people? I don't care what political bent you have and I don't care what bent you have against Islam. That's what happens when you're not redeemed. That's what people do without Jesus. Because there's no restraining of that evil. And in his case, he just took it all the way to the end. I'm going to take these lives. You see, that's what hatred does. And if you read any of the manifesto, it was filled with hate cover to cover. Can I tell you that Jesus doesn't hate Muslims? He doesn't. Jesus died so that people could know the truth and the truth could set them free. Jesus doesn't hate those who practice Hinduism. He died so they could be set free from the lie that there are thousands of gods. There's one God in three persons. But he doesn't hate them. He loves them. You see, murder is in the heart of man if you don't have Jesus. That's why it's so horrible that we might choose to live on the same level as the devil. The second one, I I just refer to it as murder light. You may not like my phrase, but that's what it is. Because that's what Jesus called it. Verse 13, notice what it says. Don't marvel, brethren, when the world hates you. 
Because we know that we've passed from life to death. Because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. You see, Jesus actually said you got a choice to make. John's saying the same thing. He's saying you you, you got to have a new birth if you want to walk in life. The new life comes from the new birth. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. That's the very thing that Jesus said. Identical. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. You see, inside of us, each one of us is still that capacity to choose to feed the flesh, to do what is wrong. And without the restraining power of the Spirit, without that checking of your motivation by the Spirit of God, then all that happens is a person who dwells in hatred, the person who is habitually envious, the person who sows discord or strife amongst the brothers and sisters, the person who walks in the flesh shall not fulfill the things of God. Whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. Whoever you are, that's what you're going to be is another way to look at it. The person who loves God turns to the love of God and says, Lord, you have been so gracious to me and so kind to me and so loving to me. You've given me things that I do not deserve. You have not given me what I do deserve. Grace and mercy, amen? So when I realize that's what I've received, what should I want for everybody else? It's surely not hatred. It can't be that I would ever want to hate people because Jesus died for people. Jesus didn't die for buildings. Jesus didn't die for denominations. Jesus didn't even die for the Bible. Jesus surely didn't die for church. Jesus died so that we could know God personally. And be forgiven of our sin and ultimately be glorified and go to heaven. So when you think about what John is saying here, what he's really saying is, if you just simply say as many do, well, I I just have a problem with hate. That is a sign the love of God is not in you. When someone will not turn over their hate, the Bible says the love of God's not in them. That's why I fear for people who struggle with hatred. And I'm going to say something right now, and I want you to listen very carefully, and please don't send me emails on it. It doesn't matter whether that hate is conservative hate or liberal hate. doesn't matter whether it's Republican hate or Democrat hate. It doesn't matter whether you want to call it right hate or left hate. Hate is hate. Amen? Hate is hate. And Jesus is anti-hate. So if you love the Lord, you can't run around hating on people. For whatever reason you have to do it, it's not okay with God. It's just not okay. And in fact, your Bible says the love of God is not in you. If you are filled with hate, you're filled with rage, you need to check and see whether you even know the Lord. 
So when someone stands on a news station or stands in a pulpit and preaches hate, whether it's in politics or whether it's in the pulpit, you can automatically discount what it is that's being said. Because God's the God of love. You can say strong things, but you say those strong things in a loving way. Say, look, I love you, but here's what God's word says. Hence the reason I said God doesn't hate Muslims. God loves Muslims. God loves people, all people. God's heart is broken over the death of those innocent people in New Zealand. His heart is broken. He's broken over over those 241 people who were murdered, murdered in Nigeria two days ago. You see, because murder comes from the devil and murder begins with hate. And so the church should not be engaged in hate. Ever. Ever. Don't go there. If you're being driven to speech that is not indicative of Jesus Christ, you can be assured it didn't come from Jesus. Now, here's the good news. The great news, you got a lot of murderers in the Bible. You ought to be really happy about this, by the way. Why? Because you're going to see David and Paul and Moses in heaven. So it's not that you can't have been a murderer and be saved. It means that if you are saved, you're not going to continue being a murderer. Amen? And so you're also not going to continue being a hater because hate goes to murder. It's a very simple process. Neither is okay. One is absolutely worse than the other, but they're both the same road. Don't go down that road. Be kind. Be nice. Be gentle. Be respectful. Talk to people. You want to find out where people are? Actually talk to them. See why they feel the way they do. You're going to find out you have a lot more in common with most people, even people that you don't like. You know, wow, I used to struggle with that too. Let me tell you about Jesus. The third level on which we can live. And I think to some degree... This one is the most dangerous. Verse 16. By this we know love. Because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. You realize what he's saying. That you can't profess with your lips something that you don't do with your life. It's pretty meaningless because people will always believe whatever you do over whatever you say. Amen? It's the truth. You may not like what I just said, but it's true. If I tell you I love you and then punch you in the face, which are you going to (laughs) believe? Right? That easy enough for everybody? Love you, man. Bam! It's like, no, you don't. Attitudes and actions should come from what you actually believe. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren, whoever has this world's goods. And now notice how he simplifies it. You see, dying for someone, that's pretty hard. So here's what John says. Whoever has this world's goods 
and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? Ow! You see, it's not just about you not doing evil to someone. It is about you doing good to someone. It's us seeing our brothers and sisters in need and actually doing something about it. You know, there's a reason that we have a food pantry. Because we need to do good to people. There's a reason we minister to the homeless. Because we need to show with our action that we actually love people. There is a reason that we travel around the world doing all kinds of things for the benefit of people that we barely know because that shows them in a very practical way that God loves them and we got sent by God to love on them. You you see, you can't say that the love of God is in you and then do nothing with it. The love of God constrains us and compels us to do something for people who are in need. So very often I talk to people and we'll get on the subject of, you know, there's, let's face it, we have people on every intersection, every corner here in L.A. There's somebody with a sign that says, we'll work for food maybe or whatever it is. And I'm not saying that some of those people aren't scams. You can tell by the $95 tennis shoes. I'm not telling you to not exercise wisdom here, but I am telling you that if you want to judge everyone's needs simply by whether you think they're deserving or not, you're going to miss a lot of opportunity to bless people. Can I tell you, if you give somebody some money and they do something wrong with it, that's not on you, that's on them. You've simply been called to be good to them, to tell them about Jesus. Grab a whole bunch of New Testaments, little tiny ones, you can order them by the 50-pack, Keep them in your car and keep some fives in there and give them the word and give them a meal. Do good to them. Why? Because you never know when that one seed is going to take root and grow and you might actually be the one vehicle that causes that person to come to faith. You see, that's real faith really doing something. Not fake faith sitting around going, well, they don't deserve it. And here's why this should be really important to you. You don't deserve to be saved. You don't deserve to go to heaven. You don't deserve to have your sins forgiven. You don't deserve all the good things that God does to you. You don't deserve to have him meet every one of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You don't deserve any of what you have. But because you're one of God's kids, you get it anyway. So how do you think the love of God is supposed to work out in you? You just love people anyway. You show them the love of God in such a wonderful way that they go, wow, God loves me. It's exactly why Jesus said, so let your good works so shine before men that they will see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. Amen? You see, that's what happens. When you actually show people the love of God, it's actually sometimes better than you telling them about the love of God. Because it's tangible. You know, believe it or not, a Big Mac can speak the name of Jesus. So get some gift cards, keep them in your car. 
You never know when you might be the gift, gift giver Big Mac of Jesus. You, you don't know just doing good to someone. And you can make all the excuses you want about, well, it's ingraining poverty. Or maybe it's just giving them a sandwich because they're hungry. Notice what it says. Whoever has the world's goods, and trust me, I've traveled around enough of the world, we all have the world's goods. You can't live here and not have some of the world's goods. Now, some of us may have more goods than other people, but we all have some capacity to do good to people. Some. Some of you have more than others. That's not the issue. The issue is when you have some, which we all do, and you see your brother in need and shuts up his heart from him. Notice what it says. It doesn't say close the pocketbook. It says shut up your heart. It says when you fail by indifference to actually care about other people and their need, how can you actually say that the love of God is in you? Because Jesus cared about us when we were not worthy. So we're supposed to care about people when they're not worthy. Don't be indifferent to that. Don't be indifferent to the needs of others. It creates bitterness. It creates a harshness. It it creates a judgmental spirit and an attitude. And remember what Jesus said. Jesus said, be careful. He didn't say, do not judge. He said, be very careful when you judge that you judge with the right kind of a measuring stick because whatever stick you use, that same stick is going to be used to judge you. So if you want to be judged by grace, be gracious to other people. If you want to be judged in mercy, be merciful to other people. If you want to be judged by forgiveness, then be forgiving to other people. Do you get it? You see, sometimes we say, well, you know, they don't deserve it. Oh, please turn that back around in yourself and go, I don't deserve it. So let me show them how much God loves them by giving undeserved things to undeserving people. Just bless them. You can't go wrong blessing people. You can't. Your heart's right. That is never negated by the actions on the other side. Don't be indifferent. And finally, as we wrap this up, verse 18, my little children, let us not word, or excuse me, let us not love in word or in tongue. In other words, let's not just talk about it. Let's not sit around and just simply have deep doctrinal discussions about what love is. But indeed and in truth. In other words, take the truth and put it into action. Live it out. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. He knows all things. Look, if you slip up, you mess up, God knows your heart. That's true. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. There's three things that you're going to have when you live this way. You're going to have assurance of who you are. You're going to have answered prayer because of who you're related to. And you're going to be abiding in Christ because God's your Father. Notice what he says. This is how you have confidence. 
Anybody in here want confidence in your relationship with the Lord? I do. Here's how it happens. This is a good place to start. If you want to have confidence in whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep our com- his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. There is a direct correlation between what you do and what God gives you. If, if you want God's best, then you need to give him your best. If you want his blessings, then you bless God. It's that simple. People say, well, you know, God just... Uh, is bound because he's good. No, he, he's bound because he's good to do good things to people all the time. But if you want the very best that, that he can give you, then you give him your very best. He's providentially good to everyone. It's the difference between you wanting a couple of crumbs or the whole loaf. Amen? Me, I'm greedy. Give me the whole loaf. I want to be blessed, so I want to bless God with my living, with my life. And this is the commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And now he who keeps his commandment abides in him, and he in him, and by this again we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he's given us. God says, look, if you want to know real Christ-like love, it's actually knowable. You can know what it looks like. You can have assurance that God loves you. You see, because your old nature is contrary to these things. And if you want to know where you are with Christ, then live like Jesus. Do what he says. Walk in obedience to his word. You see those wonderful blessings that we all want come from walking with him. Do you remember when Jesus was being questioned by the Pharisees and they asked him a question? The question was this, what's the greatest commandment? Do you remember what he asked, what he answered rather? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind and strength and your neighbor as yourself, amen? That's the greatest commandment. Why? Because that commandment drives everything else in your life. When you love other people the way God loves you, you will do the right thing before the Lord. You will have assurance. You won't have condemnation because you're going to be gracious to people who don't deserve grace. You're going to be merciful to people who don't deserve mercy. You're going to be forgiving to those who don't deserve forgiveness. You're not going to be bitter towards people who deserve your ire. You see how it works? When you are the redeemed of the Lord and you've said yes to that, it changes the way you live and your changed life is evidence. It is that gift of assurance that God gives us. Man, I'm not like I used to be. I'm a new creation in Christ. I actually have a heart for that, brother. I have a heart for that, sister. A second thing, and you can see it here. You know, sometimes, I don't know about you, but I ask God for stuff. You guys ask God for stuff? We know that we have truth because he's he's greater than my heart. He, He knows my heart. He sees my heart. But you know, sometimes I, I ask God for stuff. Can I tell you how to 
put yourself in the best position to actually have God answer those prayers in the affirmative manner? Because that's what we want, right? Is by doing what he says. Let me give you an example of this. You're here as a parent, you're going to know this. Here's what happens when your children constantly rebel against you. I want you to go to your room. There's no dinner. There's no Nintendo. You're not coming out. And we're not talking until you square away your attitude. Amen? God pretty much treats us the same way. He says, Jeff, you and I are not talking. This is found, by the way, in Isaiah chapter 59, the first two verses. Jeff, your actions have actually separated my face from you so that I'm not listening to your prayers. I'm not hearing what you're saying. Oh, I can hear it because I'm sovereign. But if you want to talk to me, you need to square away your attitude. You need to get yourself in line with the house rules, so to speak. This is not how we act in God's house. And so if you want God to answer your prayers, do things his way. Be kind to people who don't deserve your kindness. Be gentle with people who maybe deserve to be roughed up a little bit. You get the picture? If you want God to say, man, that was awesome, Jeff, then you do things his way. It's not hard. If you want answered prayer, you need to live in deed, not just in word. And then finally, verse 23. I don't know about you, but I can't wait to get to heaven here on earth, we, we use a word, it's a theologic word, to abide. It means to set up dwelling. It means to live in. If I abide in Christ, it's like I'm already in my Father's house. It's like I've already set up. I, I moved into that new room in that mansion that's in my Father's house. And this is his commandment that we should believe on his name on the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave us commandment and now he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him and by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit he's given us. There's just that sense of peace. I don't know how many of you, um, very few of my memories about my early childhood can I recall but there are a few that I do remember and one of them was of my grandmother's house. There was always a sense that everything was okay when I was at grandma's house. Didn't matter what was going on when you got to grandma's house because dad didn't get to talk anymore, mom didn't get to talk anymore. The only ones that mattered was the grandkids. Come on in the kitchen, we're baking. You see, it's being in, the, in God's house. It's that fresh batch of cookies it's near lunchtime. It, it, it's that one thing that you remember. It's that special meal. It's that special treat. You see, when you abide in the vine, when you're close to the Lord, you receive all those things that God wants for you. He wants to be kind and gentle and merciful and tender and loving. He wants to shower on you his goodness and blessings but you got to stay in his house. you got to walk with him. Do what he asks you to do. That's how you get close. That's how you stay close. And ultimately what happens is this. 
Now all of a sudden these things, your doctrine, that's what you know about God from his word. And your duty, that's what you do with what you know about who God is. Combines with this beautiful thing called God's love. And all of a sudden, everything is mixed together in its proper proportion. But here's what people are going to see. They're always going to see the love part. Oh, they'll know the proper doctrine. They're going to see the right duty, but they're going to watch you function in so much love. They're going to go, that could only come from one place. That came from God. And God's going to receive the glory. You see, the man who hates his brother isn't going to act like that. The, the person who wants to live after his flesh is not going to get that. And as you look at these things, you see the person who murders, that person clearly belongs to the devil, amen? That's somebody who's satanically influenced. The person who hates is actually on the devil's road, but they're really actually belonging to the world system because the world says you should hate people. That's not everybody, it's not everywhere, it's not everyone. But it is the way the world works. Case in point, wars. The Christian who's indifferent, you're serving your flesh. You're actually helping the enemy. You're not helping God because he's given you the opportunity to be used of him and you're saying no. And so it's pretty clear which one of these you want to do. I want to have that service that that speaks to the Lord and how he has blessed me. I want other people to know about that. Every good and perfect gift comes from him, amen? Other people are supposed to know that. He is a blessing God, amen? Other people are supposed to know that. He's a forgiving God. Other people are supposed to know that. He's gracious and merciful. You get the picture? You see, when you receive those things, you go, man, let me tell you about Jesus. He loves you so much that if you'll give up your life of sin, he's willing to forgive your sin and to cleanse you from all of your unrighteousness. That's how you show people the love of God. You see, look, he can change me, he can change anyone. And because he did change me, I know he wants to change you. You have that joy, you have that liberty, you have that life of answered prayer. You get to see God in a way that you otherwise won't. I pray that we walk in love. I pray that we never try and separate out all these things. That our words and our lives match up and that all of it's filled with the love of Jesus. Amen? Would you stand and we'll close in prayer. If you're here today and maybe something in this message has resonated with you and you want to pray with somebody, maybe you have never received Christ and you want to make today the day when you say yes to that offer of grace and we have a prayer team in our prayer room, they would love to meet with you and share the good news of the gospel in a concise way and lead you in that prayer of faith. If you're here and maybe you're just struggling with being loving and you need some help, somebody to pray with you. Please, after service, just go to the prayer room and sit down with one of the prayer warriors in there and and get those things squared away with the Lord because he wants to use you. He, He wants to pour his love out into this world through you. 
And so he, he wants what you want in that sense. So tell him about it and let him change you. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that while we were in a rebellious state and wandering away from you, Lord, not walking with you, but a way that you came to us and you poured out your grace and your mercy upon us. As we have believed on you, Lord, and been saved, we now get to bear the image, the imprimatur of the King of Heaven, the Lord of hosts, the great I Am, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one whose name we bear, the King Jesus. Lord, thank you for loving us putting your love in us. And we pray that that love would just ooze out of us, Lord. As Paul said, everywhere we go, we want to leave the fragrance of Christ. Lord, your love in this world. And so bless us to that end. We ask all of this in Jesus' name.